and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewerewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 126. I'm pleased today to introduce you to my friend Leslie Harder. Leslie joined me to record this episode on what would have been her son William's 39th birthday. William went to heaven suddenly and unexpectedly in August of 2016, just five days after the death of Leslie's mother. In our conversation today, she shares about that experience and how God walked with her through those early days of grieving both her son and her mother. We also discuss her memoir, Joy in the Morning, Viewing the Rainbow from the Veil of Tears, in which she shares her story in a series of dated blog posts and social media posts. I believe you'll be encouraged by what she has to share today. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you um, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to our chat for quite some time now. All right, so let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. I'm originally from the East Coast, from Virginia. Um, grew up there most of my life. When I remarried the second time, we moved to Texas. That's where we lived for quite some time. We've since moved a whole lot more about later on. My husband and I have been married 34 years. We were, we're both remarried, so, you know. Yay, Jesus, he beat the odds. <laughs> and uh, between us, there was William, who uh, who went to heaven in 16. Uh, we uh, lost a baby by miscarriage in 2000. We call her Hope. And then our youngest, Anthony, is in his is 20. <laughs> this is embarrassing. He's 26. And he and his wife live in the area here. So William is your oldest son. In fact, the day that we're recording this episode is Halloween, which is his birthday. I'd love for you to take a few minutes and just tell us about him. Uh, Help us get to know William today. William was born on Halloween in 83. He was a very outgoing child. He was comfortable with, he didn't really know a stranger. He was comfortable with everyone. He was the first grandchild on my parents' side, first grandson. My parents had all girls, and uh, he was doted on. He, when he was little, people would say, oh, aren't you, aren't you smart looking? And he'd say, I know. <laughs> his outgoing spirit carried into his adult years. He was adventurous. He was in the Navy, did some traveling with them. He uh, served the country for 10 years. He was married. And he had a son at, at the time he passed. His son was eight. He had custody. He enjoyed hobbies with his child. Um, and being both boys, they loved video games. I mean, loved video games. And they did a lot of the Comic-Con, the conventions where they go and, and dress in their role-playing gear or whatever they call that stuff. 
I'm not into it, as you can tell. Um, but he played Captain America for the library in his area one time, and, and he was in the newspaper in his gear one time. He, those were the kinds of things he enjoyed. And uh, he was raised, I mean, we raised him in the church, of course. As he got older, he, he was disillusioned with the organized church as a, as a whole. And so he did not, he, while he did not walk away from God, he walked away from organized religion for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thankful that he did stay faithful to the Lord, and it was just the organized religion that he walked away from. So talk a little bit about what was going on in August of 2016. Uh, in August of 2016, my mother um, had had heart issues for so many years. In fact, I think she had her first issue in 1986. Um, but it had been a, a steady issue, just a chronic issue. She had been taking care of it following doctor's orders. Um, she did come down ill in August um, and she went into the hospital and there for a while it was hairy. They called us all in. They said, you know, make all, you know, call everybody in. And so they did. Um, this was probably mid-August, maybe in, maybe around the 12th or so. I, I don't have that date in my head, but she, uh, I mean, she, we, everybody came, my, my son, at the time he lived three hours away. He came down with his grandson, my sister and her family. We all congregated at the hospital and she rallied. Um, she did really well. We didn't think she was going to make it out of ICU. She made it out of ICU. She made it into a step down unit and she made it into rehab and she was doing fine. And she spent the day with my, with my sister and her family one day. And then that night, uh, the 18th, my sister called and said, mom's gone. And it was so sudden and such a surprise when they called my sister. She said, well, how did you, because they told her we lost her. She said, well, how do you lose her? She can't go anywhere. And Mary didn't even realize that they were talking about mom had passed. Sure. And uh, she she just passed in her sleep, I guess. Um, a lot of those details got lost after that for me. But, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like we didn't know she was 83. I think at the time, it wasn't like we didn't know it, it could happen. Uh, we mm -hmm. just weren't expecting it to happen right at that moment. Right. You know, as difficult as it is to lose a parent like that, it is the normal way of things. And in your book, you say normal stopped for me five days later on August 23rd, 2016. Talk about what happened that day. Actually, August 23rd was a normal day. We went about our business that morning. We had been uh, messaging back and forth. My sister, my son, myself. There might have been some other, a couple other people in the conversation. I don't remember. Uh, we were messaging back and forth about the plans for my mother's service, which was coming up. And there had been some talk back and forth. And, and we were on Facebook Messenger. So, you know, you can see when people read your mes messages on there. And actually, my son had used a word that his mother doesn't <laughs> prove of. And I had sent him a picture of a little boy from the Christmas story with the soap hanging right. out of his mouth. And, and then I went to work and I work, uh, of course, working in the public, I don't get a lot of phone calls here and really nobody knew to call anyone until that afternoon. My son had full custody of my grandson and he was in, he went to after school daycare and he had gone to the after school daycare and my son, my son never picked him up. And after an hour, I guess, they called 
my ex-daughter-in-law who, who lived two hours away from my son. And she started making calls to see if she could figure out where he was. She called around to us. And so when I got home at seven o'clock, when I walked in the door, I got a phone call from my sister asking me if I had heard from William. And I said, no, I had, I hadn't. So I checked the messages and realized that the last message that I had sent, he hadn't looked at. So that's when all the phone calls start and we're going round and round. My ex-daughter-in-law started driving in so she could go pick up Oliver. Uh, the sheriff's department was sent to my son's house. And, uh, you know, that's, those are two hours that I kind of lost um, because you spend all that time hoping that they did something stupid, oh, sure. something foolish. He got a ticket. He, you know, he, he ran out of gas. You think of all the things that you hope it could be. And then uh, about 930, when my ex-daughter-in-law got there to the apartment with her son, they informed her that my son had passed away. And she called, I was on the phone with my sister at the time. And of course, technology being what it is, my ex-daughter-in-law texted my sister and said, you need to hang up, I need to talk to her. And so she called me and uh, she told me. And I, I couldn't believe it. Um, you hear something like that and you think that it can't, it can't, it can't be the truth. Right. And for a second, it, it took a second. It's like being hit with something when you, when it impacts, you think, wow, that's, that's going to hurt. And, and before you can finish the thought, it, the pain comes roaring in. But I knew even in that moment, I had a half hysterical woman on the other end of the phone that was dealing with her own pain and knowing that she was going to have to tell my grandson, she can like leave. Um, I could hear, I, I and, and I fell on, I was sitting in the chair, but I, I slid out of the chair into the floor and I was landing on my knees. And in that second, I didn't hear an audio audible voice, but in that second, I heard in my heart, all these years you've been talking this talk, can you walk it now, even through this? Mm. And so I, I took a deep breath and I, tried to calm down my daughter-in-law. I said, can I pray for you before we get off the phone? And I can't tell you what I said. I don't know. But I know the first thing I did when I heard it was pray. And in that second, I decided I've got to do this the way he wants it done. There are things in my heart that are going to have to take a back seat to what God wants to happen here. And that's, uh, that's, what happened? Of course, from then you start calling. We called the pastor. And of course, by, while I'm talking on the phone with her, my husband and my son have figured out what happened. So I've got I've got grief going on both ends. I've got it in my ear and, and all around me. And it well, you know, you know what it's like. You you, you just it, it's such a hard place, and it's a hard place to revisit, as you can tell. Yeah. But I knew in that moment, maybe not in that moment, but later on when I look back at that moment, there were places along the way in my life that God had used to prepare me to get me to the place where he could take me through this. And I'm so glad he did. Yes. Yeah. 
I can relate to that. There are situations that God brought us through and people that he allowed us to meet in the years before Hannah's homegoing that truly did prepare us for what happened with her. And yeah, I'm so grateful for those things and those people and those occasions that God brought into our lives. So you've written a book about your experience um, with grief. Your book is really a memoir titled Joy in the Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Viewing the Rainbow from the Veil of Tears. Talk about what prompted you to write a book, uh, because I think you started compiling it fairly early in your grief, and, and why you chose that title, particularly the subtitle. Okay, the book actually started out, I process things by writing. I just always have. I'm an introvert, so I don't, I don't express outwardly what I feel inwardly, but I will, I'll write it down. And so basically what I started to do after William died, and of course all his friends are on social media, and, and back then Facebook was, was one of the big ones. And I just started to bleed on paper, or in this case on the screen. Yes. And uh, I, it might have been a month or two. Uh, I don't, I, I can't recall the dates exactly, but somewhere down the line, I have a good friend here in town who had heard what had happened. And she asked me about it and I, I didn't have the strength to talk about it. I just, I, I couldn't, but I could clip and paste. So I went on Facebook. I pulled together some, some of the social media posts that I had put out and I sent them to her. And I said, this, this is what's happening. And she sent back this <laughs> strange little message. And she says, could you take that and make it a little more generic? I thought it was an, interesting term to use but she i i know her as she's an encourager and i thought well, she, yeah. there's somebody who needs to hear what, what's going on so i did what she asked and her next question was well her next question was a question she said you know what i'm going to ask next <laughs> i pretended i didn't i think i don't remember exactly but she's she was the one that suggested that i start writing it as something to be published for other people to be encouraged by. Her name's Donna Clements. Um, she runs a service called Word Pearls Press. She's actually the one that, that helps me publish the books. And she, bless her heart, she had to work hard at it because as you can imagine, bleeding on paper is hard enough, but I had to edit it. That's not the kind of story you ask somebody else to edit. You just can't. And so I had to edit it. I had to read it over and over. And, and there were days where I, oh, I just, I, I thought, and, and Donna kept me on track. She, she kept me going. She, she was the encourager. She was the cheerleader that God sent to encourage me to do this. And without her, it, it would have never gone beyond social media. I couldn't have done it. And the title, Joy in the Morning, um, there are places in grief. Joy and grief can reside together. It's a strange thing. Uh, the first time I laughed, I, I couldn't even believe I could do it. And that's, it, it was one of William's friends, actually, that made me laugh. And you, you've got to learn to be able to do that. Otherwise, you, will, you can't let it swallow you whole. And it, it will swallow you whole. And the, the subtitle, it really started out um, because there's probably more than one joy in the morning. Uh, that was something Donna checked on for me. She was the one that suggested that there be a subtitle. And I thought, well, I, I don't know what you would subtitle it 
with. And so I came up with Dewey and the Rainbow from the Vale of Tears because it, it, we're in the Valley of Tears. We, we, we're in the Valley of Weeping. It's inevitable. It's, I've already done it today. But you've got to be able to see beyond that and to see God can shine through those tears. He, he can reflect himself through the, the grief in the morning and, and the sadness and the pain. He can reflect through that. If, if you, you, you've got to look up, you've got to look up. And it wasn't, I saw the question when we talked about this and I thought, I, I don't really have a good answer for that question on why that title. And that day, and I think it was yesterday, I'm reading through the streams in the desert, uh, the TBN edition. And in yesterday's post, there was a quote. It said, others ask for a rainbow in the clouds, but I would ask more from you. Make me, in my cloud, a rainbow bringing the ministry of joy to others. And I thought, that's it. That That's what I want to do. I want to be able to show mm. that you can make it through this. You, you, can, you can find beauty in the brokenness. It's not ever going to look the way you thought it was going to look when you started. Never but you can still find beauty in it and you can still find joy in it and you can still find praise and worship in it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So the book, like you said, I love the way you described it was like you were bleeding on paper and that's, that's really what it is. It's basically a series of dated narratives that span the entire first year of your grief. Some, like you said, were social media posts. Some of them are just personal writings from your heart. All of them are very authentic, and some of them are quite raw. Like you said, the very first one is dated August 24th, which was just one day after mm -hmm. William's sudden passing. At that point, you didn't even know what had happened. But in that entry, you wrote in all capital letters, but I will trust in God. How did you come to that determination so quickly? Well, Within the probably the, the previous six months to a year before William died, I had been in, in two particular Bible studies with the ladies at our church. Uh, one was the Armor of God by Priscilla Shire, and the other one was the Battle Plan for Prayer by the Kendrick Brothers. And in both of those, I could see, looking back now, I can see that God was preparing me to walk a, a difficult path. Of course, I didn't know what it was. Um, in the one on prayer, uh, the one by the Kendrick brothers, at the end of the, the study, they, they were asking for specific prayers for everybody to write down, you know, one specific prayer that you wanted everybody to join in on you. And mine was that William would return to the church. He, he in, in his younger years, he was on the worship team. He played the guitar on the worship team. He was involved in the youth group. He was involved in Awana ministry. And I just wanted to see him return to that joy. And uh, so that, that was one of my prayer requests. And I can't say for sure when I heard the Lord tell me this. It could have been before those uh, Bible studies. I don't know. But what I, I, I had been praying for him. Of course, I had been trying to talk to him. And God told me, stop that. And I said, well, I, and he said, mm -mm, no, you need to stop preaching at him. And I said, well, can I at least answer a question if he asks one? And he, he gave me permission for that. But of course, William didn't ask too many questions. But I fretted, you know, I, Lord, he's got so much potential. There's so much, and, and his son, and, and, sure. and he finally said, look, 
give me until he's 33. He said, my own son didn't start his ministry till he was 33. Give me until he's 33. I will take care of it. And I rested in that. I didn't see this as being the answer that was coming. But that night when I called, one of the girls I called was my Bible study leader because I knew she lived close by and her husband was a doctor. And while I was talking to her that night, I remembered that prayer and I thought he's 32. He wouldn't be 33 until October and he's gone. But God did exactly what he said. He took care of him. And as hard as it is to have it happen that way, I have to trust the God who told me that he'd be taken care of. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, then that's just a powerful statement. I mean, and it's a decision that we all have to make as grieving parents that I will trust in God, even whether if I don't understand, if I don't agree, if I don't like it, which of course none of us do, we have to make that decision uh, that we're going to trust in God. That's the only way we can really have peace as bereaved parents. The second chapter of your book, or really your chapters, you don't call them chapters, you call them <laughs> steps, first step, second step, third step. But that, so that second step was called claiming his strength. And what were some of the things you had to claim his strength for in those early days? Uh, having William pass only five days after my mother, we had, actually hadn't had service for my mother yet. So we went into my mother's memorial service knowing, uh, and, and she, her memorial service was, I think three days after he passed, two or three days after he passed. So word of his passing hadn't gotten around. I mean, to his friends, yes, but not to our family and not to my mother's church family. So we went into her service knowing that we were going to have to tell everyone that he had passed. And so I had to sit through my mother's service knowing that that was going to happen. And literally you could hear everybody gasp when my sister announced it. The grief of everybody else piling on top of your own is, is, oh, and, and you know, there's usually an anchor in a family. If, if things go awry, there's an anchor. And that's usually who everybody flocks to. And in our family, a lot of times it's me. And uh, sure, trying to be strong for everybody else, yeah, yeah. you know, because I know how much it upsets my husband and my son to see me upset. And so I try not to, you know, you, you, you do what you can to alleviate their pain. Also, there was... My ex-husband had lost a child before, and so he, he said, he said, I can do a lot of things. He said, but I can't pick a coffin for another child. So we had to go out and make arrangements, terrible, horrible arrangements that nobody should ever have to make for their child. There were the high emotions of others. Uh, having it come so suddenly and having him be so young, all of his friends, nobody's prepared for this. Nobody, nobody knows how to how to grasp something so so devastating in in some of the places where we gathered there there could be issues and and trying to keep everybody calm and, and understand you know look emotions are running high just just try and you know show as much grace as you can and let let's just get on with it um cleaning out his apartment was terrible just going back to his apartment, trying to find clothes for him. It was a three hour drive there. It's a three hour drive back. You've got all that time to think and dread and contemplate. And uh, 
then you, you, you stack that on top of the fact that you hardly ever sleep. Uh, closing your eyes is, is misery. And uh, right. you just, you spend a lot of time calling on God. <laughs> and honestly, for if, if it wasn't for his strength, I, I don't, I don't know how we could have come through it like we did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he gives you a superhuman strength, a supernatural strength for sure. And, you know, after Hannah died um, and during the year that she was sick, for the first time, I think in my life, I really experienced feeling strength from other people's prayers. You know, mm-hmm. um, I knew so many people were praying for us throughout her year of cancer. And then um, after that, and that strength, um, it's just amazing the amount of strength that can come from the Lord. Certainly not anything we could conjure up on our own. Exactly. And there would be times, like I remember when we were driving out to his apartment, I don't remember which time it was. I'm in the car thinking, I, 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 I don't think I can do this. And my phone, <laughs> I'm notorious for not carrying my cell phone, but I had it on me in those days. And it buzzed in my pocket, so I whipped it out. And there's a message from a friend, I'm praying for you. We left the funeral home. I think it was either after we picked my mother's or, or William's. I think it was when we picked William's coffin and, and made his arrangement. Phone buzzes, and it's William's best friend. He says, I'm sorry, but William was my brother, so that makes you my mother now. And I, I just I burst, in, mm. I burst into tears wow. because here's a child. He's never met me. And he's decided, just as I'm leaving the funeral home, to tell me that he's got my back. And uh, so many times that happened. So many people prayed. Mm -hmm. So many people would come by the house. They would find me (laughs) wherever I was. And they would would speak life into me. They would speak encouragement into me. In fact, William died Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. I went to the church. I knew the the women were meeting there at 8 o'clock in the morning for prayer. And I showed up and they, we all cried together. They prayed over me. They took me out to try and make sure I ate breakfast that morning. Yeah, I can't say enough about, about the church body. They, they truly, our, our church is Valley Community Church in Weldon, North Carolina. And they, they literally became the hands and feet of Christ in so many ways. Mm, that's wonderful. That's the way the church is supposed to work. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So there are scripture references all throughout your book. Are there one or two verses that have just been especially helpful to you as you've grieved William and your mom? Psalm 34, 18 was one of the ones. I'm not going to be able to quote it here. I know I'm not. But it's about God being close to the brokenhearted and uh, near those who are, whose spirits are crushed. And yes, every time, every time, the pain swamps you 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 claim okay god is close right now god is closer than than ever because i really need him right now oddly enough one of the ones that really spoke to me speaks to me even now it started out with the armor of god bible study with priscilla shire it was ephesians 6 section on the armor of god and i actually have a bracelet uh-huh that says armored up that i have worn since I got it, to uh-huh. remind me. I love it. I've seen pictures of it on Facebook. This is a battle. This, this is a battle. And in order to, to be successful in this battle, to be victorious, we've got to wear the armor. We've got to put it on. We've got to, to keep it in shape. And it, it's been very helpful because, as, as we know from all we've experienced this morning, 
we're in a war. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're different at different points, different times, different Bible verses will speak to me. The Bible as a whole speaks to me. The year after William, William died in August, that following de, uh, January, I started through the Bible again. And I, I happened to pick, <laughs> happened to pick a chronological Bible reading. And so Job was one of the first or second book. I think it's the second book in that series. Mm-hmm. And I thought, really, I'm going to go through Job. Yes. And it was helpful. Yeah. It was really helpful to realize this. I'm not the first person this has happened to. And and there are people who plowed this, this valley before I did. And uh, I can follow in their footsteps and I can leave a path, a brighter path for the people behind me by following the path that God shows me through that valley. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's been about six years now since William went to heaven. What advice would you give to a newly bereaved parent, uh, someone who finds him or herself right at the very beginning of their grief journey? When I first, I, I came back to work maybe two weeks after, I, I don't know, it, it was shortly after William died. And for some people that that might seem unusual, but I needed to move. I needed to be active. I needed not to sit and stew on things I couldn't change. And there's a girl I used to work with. Her name was Barbara and she was widowed. And she pulled me aside and she said, you know, you're going to hear a lot of things from a lot of people. And she says, this is what you need to know. Just do the next thing. Don't think past that. For right now, just do the next thing and, and everything else. And, and in my head, I heard God will, will line everything else up behind that. And, and that's really, when this first hits you, you're, you're, it really is like being slapped with a two by four, at least if it's a sudden death like this. Uh, and you, you really, I, I called my youngest son, what's his name one day? I, I, could, I could not think of his name. My sister uh, handled a lot of the paperwork with William because I, I couldn't comprehend it. I, I couldn't, I, I'd ask her the same question four or five times. She'd give me the same answer, but I just could not hold on to anything. And so that's, that's what I learned. I learned, okay, we're just going to do the next thing and do the next thing. And eventually it does get easier to hold on to more than one thought at a time. But at the beginning, it's hard. It's really hard because you're so much of your brain is trying to process what has just happened. And, uh, I also, and I had learned this before, and, and I've found it helpful now, and I don't know who I heard, of it, heard it from on the radio, I'm sure it was some ministry, that there was a reason there were three days between the day Jesus died and the day he rose again, and that's because it takes that long for our, the capacity of, of our thought processes to process a new situation. The way they explain it was that you, you almost have to die to the old way of thinking and be reborn into the new way of thinking. I, I know that sounds new age, but it's not. Um, it takes three days really for it to, to just, I, I guess it's settle in. And so I made it a practice. If something came up to me, I need three days. I, I need three days to think about it. I need three days to pray about it. You know, if it wasn't on fire, it's going to have to wait three days. And that was helpful for me being able to to set aside that time to organize my thoughts and to get 
to a place where I could incorporate that in into my my thinking, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I've never actually heard that particular piece of advice before of giving yourself three days to process or make a decision, pray through, you know, something that you have to do like that. And I think that's very valuable advice. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I've learned something new today. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Leslie Harder. I hope you'll come back next week as we extend our discussion to cover a wide range of issues faced by bereaved parents, including the dreaded things people say, the sharp contrast in our lives between the before and after of child loss, dealing with birthdays and holidays, and how Leslie has peace that William is in heaven due to his second birthday. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.